Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. But I'm Pastor Amy. I don't know if you know me or not. Um, My husband and I are the senior pastors, have the privilege of, I think, leading the most incredible church in the whole world. There's nowhere else I would rather be. It's a beautiful opportunity that we get to speak to you every week and share with you what God puts on our hearts, and we don't take it lightly. And so... um, I'm just excited to get to share my heart with you. And, you know, as a pastor uh, and as a minister, sometimes you kind of have those those certain inclinations, if you will, to teach on a matter or teach on a subject kind of often. And I can't get away from the power that I found in my life as a believer when I realized the authority I had in Christ. Some of the greatest moments of breakthrough for my life personally from the time I was a struggling, depressed, suicidal teenager, those breakthroughs came from revelation that I got about who I really was in Christ and the authority I had as a believer. So I can't help but want to share that revelation with you today. So if you're asking yourself or if you had a moment to ask me, hey, Pastor Amy, what's your goal for today? I'll tell you what my goal is. My goal is to weaken your doubt just a little. My goal is to weaken your fear just a little bit today. Does that sound good to anybody? So we're going to take a moment. We're going to read from a passage in 1 Peter 2.9. And I'm going to steal Pastor Justin's line from when he preached recently. And he just said, I'm going to preach it like I see it. Is that all right if we go line by line? I mean, you don't really have to add much to the word of God for it to do something supernatural in our lives anyway, so we might as well just go line by line. Is that okay with you? Yeah. All right, so First Peter 2, 9, the King James Version says, but ye are a chosen generation. Say chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Can someone say amen if you identify with that? That's good news today. So I just want to let you know a little bit about me. I think it's interesting for you to be aware of the fact that I actually grew up in this church, the very church that my husband and I I now pastor, I grew up in. I was about four years old the first time I walked through the doors of David Hall. It's what we call David Hall now. It was, at the time, our main sanctuary. I was four years old. It was called, was it called Abundant Life, then Faith Christian Fellowship, then Heartland Worship Center, then Heartland Community Church, and then City of Life Church. Live a little longer, and Pop says we might change it again. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? But I was here for all of it. I've been here since I was four years old. And, you know, like every good Christian church girl does, I had my eye on one guy, the pastor's son. (laughs) Don't you have your eye on my son? (laughs) Way too young. 
He's cute, though. He knows it, too. He's very cute. <laughs> but, I mean, I had this innocent outlook on the pastor's son because obviously there's an age gap. I know when you look at us, you're like, clearly she's so much younger than him. <laughs> Thank you. But from the time I was really young, I obviously, I was, you know, uh, impressed with him, to say the least. I just thought like, oh my gosh, he's so amazing. His long curly mullet was just beautiful to me. <laughs> Seriously, he had one. And, but at the age of 13, in that young innocence, I went to um, a girls' gathering that Pastor Janice was holding, and it was called Esther Company. And at Esther Company, it was just kind of like a small group of girls that we would talk about self-esteem issues, we would talk about identity, we would talk about um, who we are in Christ and that sort of thing. And then one day, it was all about our future spouses. And that day, I think this is so interesting, that day she said, I was only 13, she said, I want you to make a list of 10 things that you want in your future spouse. Now, I was not the type that I didn't plan out my wedding. I didn't look at, you know, magazines. I was way too young to even really be considering what that actually, what the value of what I was writing down. But I just, I went for it. It's like Pastor Janice told me, I'm going to write my top 10 things. I believe on that list, number one, not I believe, I know, because I have the list still. He must smell good. <laughs> it just shows my maturity at that moment. But it's still a priority. He must smell good. Number two, I believe it said he must be able to sing. I couldn't sing, but my husband was going to sing. I don't know why that was important to me either. Number three, I remember, was he must be called to ministry, i.e. a pastor. <laughs> Somewhere on that list, I'm pretty sure it said he needs to be funny, he needs to think I'm funny, because, you know, there's got to be mutual respect in that way. Um, but what you are going to think is kind of funny, but I think it's kind of beautiful, is that at the bottom of that list, I wrote this exact phrase. I put, I will marry so-and-so. I won't tell the name, because that'd be weird. I will either marry so-and-so, or Jeffrey Smith in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Jesus' name, amen. I knew how to end a prayer. <laughs> but at 13 years old, I wrote this random list that I thought had no meaning. But then as I got a little bit older and someone noticed me, God began to work. It goes a little like this, that he says that the first time he ever sat next to me in church, I reached over and I uh, brushed the hair of his arms down and I said, I'm sorry, that was bothering me. And he literally said, oh my God, I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> I like the way he says it too, because you know how all couples have like their story? Mine was just like, my God, he smells good, he sings, he's a pastor. I mean, it was already a done deal the moment that he even paid attention to me. I was like, I'm marrying him. But he says the fact that I would reach over and 
put the hair on his arm down and then say, I'm sorry, it was bothering me. Let him know that I actually had a backbone and I wasn't a yes girl and that he had wanted to marry someone who had an opinion. I was like, oh, I'm that girl. (laughs) I'm totally that girl. So it was God's sovereignty. But we dated for a long time, six long years. One of those years went by super slow because I lived in another country while we were dating. But by the time I got married to Jeffrey Smith, in Jesus' name, amen, (laughs) I was so ready to be his wife. I was so ready to take on his name. Well, also due to the fact that my maiden name is actually not a very pleasant name, I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to dig deep in Facebook to figure it out or ask people who know me. But Smith was pretty appealing. And, you know, I'll never forget the first morning that I woke up on our honeymoon. And he told me, he was like, babe, why don't you call downstairs and get room service? I was like, okay. (laughs) So I called down, and I'll never forget what the lady said on the other line. When she answered the phone, she said, hello, Mrs. Smith. How can I help you? That was the most beautiful thing anyone had ever called me. Mrs. Smith, and it felt official, not when they said, I now pronounce you husband and wife, something, that was a weird, it happened so fast, but the next morning when someone validated that it actually happened, there was such beauty and weight to the fact that that was now my name. I got to carry that name. I got to respond to when someone called me Mrs. Smith. Much like the very first time that my kids said mama. They said daddy first, but when they said mama, (laughs) it had such value and such weight. And then a few years later, after I had Mia, then I was ordained to be a pastor. And to hear someone call me Pastor Amy, I just thought, wow, what weight that carries, what a responsibility, how beautiful for that to be something someone would call me. And it's no different when we read 1 Peter 2, that these are words and affirmations and identity and names that God is calling us, his people. So I'm going to preach it like I see it. 1 Peter 2.9 first starts out saying, you are a chosen generation. A chosen generation. Something that is chosen is it has been selected as the best or the most appropriate. The best or the most appropriate. You know, in Matthew 28.16 through 20, it's what we know as the great commission. It's the assignment that Jesus is explaining the disciples are now responsible for because they are, in fact, his co-heirs, his co- that they have a co-mission. He's saying it's not just instructions given, but he's saying, hey, you're going to come alongside of me and we are going to be in mission together. 
It's the instructions that he's left for me and you to go into all the world and make disciples. And he says, I've been given all authority under heaven and earth, and therefore do so in my name. He's saying, hey, if I do it, you do it. Do it. If I say it, you say it. And you've been given all authority because you are chosen. Did you know that God could have chosen to send the angel armies to this earth to carry out that mission? He could have sent a select few to be able to sustain the weight of that glory and that mission. No, he chose you and me because we are a chosen. We are the ones that he decided to put, put his glory within, to put his authority within so that we could carry out the very thing that we're supposed to do. Tell people about Jesus. Push back the works of darkness in this world. He said, if I did it, you do it. The Father sent me, and now I send you. Because you are a chosen generation. Can you say chosen generation? When he says he has all authority in the universe, and to go in my authority, he's letting us know that a supernatural transfer has taken place. Guys, it's better than a cash app notification. <laughs> He's letting us know that everything that we would need in this life, because we're his chosen, it's been deposited into your heavenly bank account. And every time you hear the word of God, and listen, every time you believe the word of God, it's like a transfer takes place and you take on the authority. You, you have these tools that are necessary. You know, I like to look at the life of a believer that we're not actually like Superman. So we're supernatural, but we're not like Superman. We're more like Batman. He ain't got no powers, but he's got tools in and of himself. But see, the Holy Spirit comes to the chosen and gives us the tools access to everything that heaven has to offer. The deposit comes from his world to ours so that we can make a difference, so that we can be on mission. Guys, I wonder how different our lives would actually look if we became more mindful of the fact that we are supposed to be on mission and we stopped being so mean I wonder how different our lives would look if we remembered that our purpose is to tell others about Jesus. Our purpose is to push back the works of darkness and we would stop being so petty. Is it okay for me to say this? Because I'm preaching to myself. Nothing is worse than a mean Christian in your own home, annoyed with the fact that you can hear your husband chewing. Frustrated with the fact that your wife forgot the dry cleaning again. Me. Always. And I couldn't find his purple rain shirt, guys. It was kind of tragic, but I found it. I found it. I mean, don't you think people who are truly dedicated to a mission don't have time to get distracted by petty little things. Nothing makes me more upset 
than seeing Christians who have been deposited all authority, all authority needed, and they end up in these weak-willed, small-minded, kicked around, petty lives, wasting time worrying about the fact that you didn't get invited to the party and everyone on Instagram did, wasting time with the fact that you got overlooked or you're overworked, passed up for the promotion. Could we stay on mission as a chosen generation? Maybe that could change our lives. Maybe that could shake a nation. Maybe that could change your home. You wouldn't be so bothered by the tiny little things in life. You're on mission. You don't have time to get angry. You don't have time to get petty. You don't have time to nitpick someone else. You're on mission. You're a chosen generation. We have work to do. He has picked you. He has called you. He needs you. And you have work to do, honey. It's time we get busy. Because he chose us. He chose us. What a privilege. What a responsibility. A chosen generation. Don't ask what your purpose is. Don't wonder what your purpose is. Don't Google what your purpose is. Don't let Oprah or Dr. Phil try to convince you your purpose is to bring about the reality and revelation of our wonderful, loving Father. That Jesus died for a broken and hurting world. That is our purpose, to be his co-laborers, to be on mission and tell people about Jesus. That is your purpose. He picked me, he needs me, and I have work to do. Could you say, he picked me, he needs me, and I have work to do. Number two, you are a royal priesthood. You know, in the Old Testament, the only people who had access to the presence of God were the priests. They had two jobs. One, to steward and maintain and watch over the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, and to represent God to people. Today, Jesus, or God is saying, you are a royal priesthood, that no longer do you have to have someone represent God to you, but in fact, you are now the one who represents God to others. You are now the one responsible for protecting and stewarding the presence of God. The anointed one, the holy one, lives on the inside of you. His spirit resides inside of you. We are to nurture and steward over it. See, most things in the kingdom grow by proper use. Most things in the kingdom grow by proper use. 
See, if we want to increase in our finances, you have to steward over what you've been given. If you want to increase in your anointing, steward over what has been given. If you want to increase in your favor, steward over what you've been given. We have to be watchful and careful because his presence is precious and it's sacred. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, you become a broker of the reality of God you are most conscious of. You become a broker of the reality of God you are most conscious of. And God put it to me this way. Whatever you are aware of, you release. If you are aware of the fact that you carry the very nature and presence and holiness of God, you will release that into the world around you. That's how people will identify you. That's how your home will feel. That's how your workplace will feel because you understand you are the carrier of the presence of God. When I go places, atmospheres change. When I go places, the anointing is released. The presence of God is released. You're not subject to your surroundings. When you take your rightful place as a royal priesthood, everything around you has to adapt to the spirit of God that's within you. We usher the presence of God into other people's lives. And I just want to ask you today, are you living to the standard of this royal priestlyhood? What do you carry into a room? Do you carry anger and doubt? And your kids are afraid of you when you come home. They don't know if you're going to lash out or if you're safe. Are your coworkers confused? Like, wait, uh, I thought this guy was a Christian and he just seems really angry all the time. And I mean, what are you ushering into the atmosphere? What are you releasing into the atmosphere? Maybe today I want to challenge you that if you understand the, the purity of what the holiness of God is on the inside of you, you could release that. Maybe start in your car on your way to work. Remind yourself, I'm a royal priesthood. Everywhere my feet go, everywhere my feet go, prospers. Everywhere I decide to go, it's righteousness that goes before me. God opens doors. You usher in the presence of God. See, a royal priesthood, a priest understood there was a distinction about them something different. They understood the weight. They understood what their role was, their responsibility. There was a confidence about them. And they understood that if they didn't represent God to man, no one else would. It is our responsibility to the world around us. We have to be on mission and we have to represent God to the world around us. Number three, you are a holy nation. Can you say holy nation? Holy. To be holy is to be set apart. See, God cannot commingle 
with sin. So he has told us, be ye holy as I am holy. Now, I don't want you to get confused because I want you to understand that as Christians, as people who have put your faith in Jesus, you are holy. And there is a righteousness that is transferred to you, that is deposited in you, which is called your positional righteousness. No one can teach this better than my father-in-law. All about your positional righteousness. You didn't earn it. You can't lose it. There's nothing, your works don't attribute to anything having to do with it. It's just your positional righteousness. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're going to heaven. You're following me. But there is another side to this. Because there is a command to be holy as he is holy. So that means there's another side of it that is our behavioral righteousness. It's the part of us that we're working out this salvation thing. It's the part of us that's being conformed into his image. It's the part of us that has to be laid on the altar every single day. It's the part of us that needs to desire to please God above all things. We're not questioning our positional righteousness but we're understanding we're the ones responsible for our behavioral righteousness. See, the enemy wants to trip us up with the behavioral stuff. He can't mess with the positional stuff because that's a done deal. But you know what he can do? He can get you so sidetracked by the mistakes that you make, by the behaviors you loathe and you still do them. He wants to get you so off your mark that you can't accomplish anything for the kingdom because you're just kicked around constantly by the enemy. It's his playground. But he wants to minimize, listen, he wants to minimize in the life of a believer the power of your obedience. He wants you so focused on the mistakes that you made that you don't understand the power that's attached to your actual obedience. Listen, one ounce of obedience will do your life a whole lot better than a world of prayer ever could. That might be the very thing that needs to happen in your life is that you finally decide you're going to be obedient to him. You're going to take that step. You're going to be bold in your faith. You're going to change those habits. You're going to sacrifice your desires for his desires. Be ye holy as I am holy. You're a holy nation. He wouldn't declare that over you if you didn't have the ability once you surrender to the Holy Spirit to be holy. Why would he taunt us with something that we could never accomplish? There's beauty in your obedience today. There's strength in your obedience today. There's blessing in your obedience today. Yes, we live in a grace dispensation, but he has called us to be conformed into his image and his likeness, to be more like him because he knows we'll grow in wisdom. 
He knows we'll grow in maturity. He knows his kingdom will come and his kingdom in our lives is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. See, sin distracts us, it weakens us, and it separates us from God. He still loves you. But in the life of a believer, his voice gets a little muffled when we start sinning. You can't hear him as clearly. You can't identify what he's trying to say as readily. But obedience clears up that passage, clears up that communication with you and your father. Oh, there's so much power in obedience today. You are a holy nation. I wanted to find this one phrase. It's so good. Mm. A yielded vessel is a manifestation of the kingdom. A yielded vessel is the manifestation of the kingdom. Number four, a peculiar people. To be honest, I was a little disappointed when I read what this word meant in Strong's because I wanted peculiar to mean like what I've always heard it meant. Like, you know, you're set up, you're like, uh, you're different, you know, you're wild and crazy for Jesus. Like that kind of thing, it doesn't mean that at all. It actually means peculiar in the Strong's means his own possession. I was like, well, I already talked about that we were chosen. And then I was like, man, I have to redo my whole teaching. And then I started thinking about it. His own possession, a peculiar people, his own possession. Well, if he's the king of kings and he's saying that he possesses us, that means he has dominion over us. But yet, if we're co-heirs, then that means he has imparted his dominion to us, which means everything that's under his feet is under our feet. And that a kingdom is a place where a king has domain. So if we are peculiar people, it means that we are kingdom people that we are kings and queens, that we have authority over everything on this earth. And listen, when a king speaks, people obey. When a king speaks, people listen. When a king decrees a thing, it happens. And make no mistake that the word of God, it came from the king's lips first. Putting, putting, that's a, not a word. Put on, putting, <laughs> put on pages for us to read. But the king said them. And if the king said them, it should be truth. If the king said it, 
it should have all authority. If the king said it, it should be the standard. If the king said it, we should believe it. And I think what has happened to the peculiar people of this world is that we've got believers that don't believe anymore. Believers that don't read the word of God and actually say, whoa, wait a second. You mean, if I lay my hands on the sick, they'll recover? I wanna know where are the believing believers? Are there any here today? Because you know what? I've heard enough podcasts, enough people, enough well-meaning individuals say that, you know, maybe healing was for a different time. And that was, that was just, you know, during Jesus' time. Or, or people who are afraid, well, I don't want to pray over cancer because that's a big one. And I don't want to pray over, um, you know, someone to get out of a wheelchair because, you know, let other people take care of that. And maybe that's just not what it actually means. Maybe it was a metaphor. Well, have fun with that. Because what if it isn't a metaphor? What if the word of God was actually living and active? And what if the believing believers taking their dominion taking their authority could change the world around them, could heal the people around them, could see salvation come to this earth, could see this world flipped upside down. Why are we so small-minded when it comes to the holiness and power and miracle-working ways of God? I'm speaking to some believers today that need to start believing again. His word is authority. His word is truth. His word is the standard. And nothing else compares to it. Not a self-help book. Not a TED talk. Nothing else compares to it. Where we need to run is to the word of God. When the king decrees a thing, it happens. And he has spoken these things over our lives today. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood today. You are holy today. You have dominion today. You have authority living on the inside of you. You have the spirit of the living God dwelling on the inside of you. And it's time for some believers to believe again. I told you I wanted to weaken your doubt. I told you I want to weaken your fear. I told you I want to weaken some of that insecurity and inferiority. Maybe there are some believing believers rising up today, believing that God chose you, believing that he has empowered you, believing that when you lay your hands on the sick, they actually will recover. Believing that when you speak his words, atmospheres change when you arrive on scenes like the party don't stop till yeah that's old this concludes the teaching if you'd like to support what god is doing here at city of life click on the give button at www.col.tv 
or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.